Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Gas prices rising for the past week, and they could go up even more. This while a top business professor says the Federal Reserve owes Americans an apology. Inflation means more Americans are seeking out food banks, but food banks are also struggling to get food, and the value of food stamps is eroding. The FBI reportedly sent a SWAT team to raid the home of a pro-life activist. Now the agency is responding, defending the actions they took. A win for school choice in Arizona. That's after a petition to block school vouchers appears to have fallen short. We hear from an advocate on the impact this will have on academics and public schools. Gas prices are ticking up again. They rose for the seventh day in a row today. Energy experts predict gas prices could rise even more. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Gas prices started rising again in the U.S. in the past week after three months of declines. The average price hit $3.74 a gallon Tuesday, according to AAA. An energy expert at GasBuddy says he's expecting a notable jump in gas prices this week throughout the Great Lakes, possibly topping $4. That's because refinery fires and shutdowns have disrupted gas supply. The analyst said higher prices could last a couple weeks or so until refinery issues are worked out. However, two other issues could push oil prices up again. OPEC oil producers might reduce production and the hurricane season could disrupt U.S. energy production and supply. Meanwhile, Wharton Business School professor Jeremy Siegel told CNBC Monday he thinks the Federal Reserve should apologize for what's going on with the economy. Honestly, Chairman Powell, I think should offer the American people an apology for such poor monetary policy that he's pursued and the Fed has pursued over the last two years. Siegel said he thinks the Fed is now being too aggressive on combating inflation, focusing too much on old inflation data, when instead it should focus on preventing a recession. Last week, Siegel suggested on CNBC that the Fed caused inflation by increasing the money supply over the last two years. Meanwhile, President Biden Monday announced new rules to require airlines and travel sites to be more transparent about the fees they charge. Under the proposed rules, airlines and travel sites would have to disclose up front any fees to change or cancel your flight and for checked or carry-on baggage. Biden's comments came during a meeting of the White House Competition Council, which is charged with promoting competition across the U.S. economy and lowering costs for American families. Biden said the group was also looking at lowering or eliminating bank overdraft fees and cell phone carrier termination fees. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. More energy news. While Americans have seen some relief at the pump, with gas prices dropping across the country, utility bills are an entirely different story. One organization is now predicting some heating costs, home heating costs this winter will reach the highest level in more than 10 years. Winter is coming and with it a cold reality. The cost to heat your home is expected to skyrocket. You know, missed a payment. Next thing you know, the power was off. Kristen Blom Westbrook's family was among the roughly 20 million American households behind on their utility bills, the highest on record, according to the National Energy Assistance Directors Association. And the problem is only getting worse. The organization says families are expected to pay an average of 17.2% more for home heat this coming season compared to last winter. Energy inflation is leading inflation overall. This is not normal. Niata Executive Director Mark Wolf says the spike will force families to make difficult decisions between paying for food, medicine, and rent. We're seeing numbers for middle-income families go higher, and many of those families also are in very tight budgets. The Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program is now asking Congress for an additional $5 billion to help low-income families. Staying on the topic of energy, the Texas Attorney General has joined 17 other states to oppose a rushed U.S. Senate bill. They say it would let the Biden administration, quote, run roughshod over states' rights. The White House sees the legislation as enabling clean energy to connect to the country's electricity grid, but the bill's critics say it's, quote, radically impractical. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton co-signed a letter to senators opposing the Energy Independence and Security Act of 2022. 
They say it's effectively a backdoor to the failed Obama-era clean power plan. According to The Leather, the bill would give too much power to private companies and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They would be able to to walk over states' ability to chart their own land use and energy policies. One of the criticisms is that it would authorize private companies to seize state land to carry out the federal government's energy plan. The letter advocates that people's choices at a local level shouldn't be overpowered, while some in the federal government say these projects are in the national interest. And the Senate is preparing to vote on a government funding plan that's currently on thin ice. That's due to a deal made by Senator Joe Manchin. Tonight's vote will determine if lawmakers will start talks on a measure that will extend funding, which is scheduled to expire Friday at midnight. However, the proposal includes a reform proposal from Manchin that will speed up the process for energy projects, including a pipeline that will go through Manchin's home state of West Virginia. Lawmakers are likely to vote in favor of a short-term funding extension by the end of the week. And in other news, America's iconic automobile brand Ford is unable to make deliveries of some of its best-selling vehicles. The shortage of computer chips is one reason, but another supply chain problem is a little unexpected. The automaker does not have enough of the blue oval Ford brand badges that go on the front of the vehicle. Ford has delayed deliveries of a number of vehicles because they are waiting for the blue oval badges that go on them. Ford officials won't say how many of the 40,000 vehicles stuck in inventory are due to the nameplate shortage. The company has tried some workarounds using 3D printing to make the Ford insignia. Supply chain issues like this one may account for some of the reasons why Ford's stock is down 41 percent in 2022. At food banks across the U.S. are seeing a rise in new visitors as inflation puts the price of groceries beyond reach for many Americans. President Biden is hoping to change that with his upcoming summit on hunger at the White House. Here's more. Shannon Kraft visited this Chicago-area food pantry for the first time last month, collecting a bag of groceries for her family. She'd used federal food stamps to buy groceries, but rising prices over the summer meant that assistance fell short. That's why she came here. Inflation is through the roof. You gotta, you gotta decide between uh, medication and food. She's not alone. Nourishing Hope has seen a 40% increase in visitors this year so far. Rising hunger is a problem for President Joe Biden. He's set to host the first White House summit on hunger in 50 years and is pledging to eliminate hunger in the U.S. by 2030. And higher food prices are eroding the value of food stamps. The USDA, which administers the benefits, said food stamps averaged about $230 per person per month so far this year. Food insufficiency for families with children climbed over 16 percent by July. According to a U.S. Census survey, nearly one in five families reported sometimes or often not having enough to eat. Things until recently seemed to be improving, and hunger eased in 2021, in part due to pandemic relief measures. But as pandemic policies begin to abate, so did hunger prevention efforts. This year, the USDA is on track to buy just over half the food it purchased during the height of the pandemic. Donations from grocery stores and food distributors have also waned as businesses tighten supply chains and minimize waste. Kelly O'Connell is the CEO of Nourishing Hope. The reality is the pandemic hit hard, hit so many folks hard, and now this is kind of a one-two punch, right? Even if they were getting a little bit more stable on their feet, now here comes inflation uh, with the cost of food going up 12-ish percent on average. Uh, Their money's just not going as far, and they're needing to find other ways to put food on their table. That has food banks struggling to make up the difference as they are forced to purchase food at higher prices themselves. More on inflation, many Americans are worried about staying afloat financially. According to a survey from Bank of America, 71% of U.S. workers say their salaries and wages can't keep pace with the rising cost of living. That's up from the 58% who said the same in February. The findings are from data taken in July and are based on Americans who have 401k plans. Just 44% of U.S. employees say they feel well off financially, which is the lowest that level has been in five years. 
Onto the documents seized from former President Trump's estate. The FBI changes the total number of documents they took. The update includes 63 additional documents and photographs. The revised inventory was submitted after an order from the special master. He requested that a government official testify that the original inventory was complete and accurate. An unnamed FBI special agent fulfilled the order. The agent said he or she leads a squad of special agents, intelligence analysts, and other personnel. They carry out counterintelligence and espionage investigations, and their team executed the warrant. The new list contains two fewer materials sorted under magazines, newspapers, press articles, and two fewer empty folders with classified banners. Some of the boxes seized from Trump's home were found to contain more documents, others fewer. The update means the government seized over 11,200 non-classified materials from Mar-a-Lago. In other DOJ news, the FBI is responding to reports that it raided and arrested a pro-life activist in Pennsylvania. The activist is accused of assaulting a Planned Parenthood worker. Here are the details. The FBI responded on Monday to media reports and claims that it sent a SWAT team to raid the home of pro-life activist Mark Hawk early Friday morning. The FBI Philadelphia office told the Epic Times, quote, there are inaccurate claims being made regarding the arrest of Mark Hawk. No SWAT team or SWAT operators were involved. FBI agents knocked on Mr. Hawk's front door, identified themselves as FBI agents, and asked him to exit the residence. He did so and was taken into custody without incident pursuant to an indictment. The FBI also said, quote, the number of personnel and vehicles widely reported as being on scene Friday is an overstatement. Hawk's wife told LifeSite News that at least two dozen federal agents swarmed their property in Bucks County, Pennsylvania with around 15 vehicles, and that the officers, who were fully armed, kept pounding at the door and yelling. The wife also said the officers had their rifles pointed at them and throughout the house. There were seven children in the house. Hawk is the co-founder and president of The King's Men, a nonprofit group that promotes healing for victims of pornography addiction. He also volunteers as a sidewalk counselor in Philadelphia spending six to eight hours near two different abortion centers every week. The Justice Department recently charged Hawk for violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. They say he assaulted a 72-year-old man near a Planned Parenthood center in Philadelphia in October 2021. According to the Justice Department, Hawk forcefully shoved the individual to the ground. A spokesperson for Hawk's family disputed those allegations. He said that Hawk was defending his 12-year-old son from the individual's harassment. The family is now attempting to produce a video of the incident. As of Monday, a Give, Send, Go fundraiser for Hawk's family raised nearly $200,000. Coming up, Florida residents are battening down the hatches. Forecasters say Hurricane Ian could intensify into a Category 4 hurricane as it approaches the coast. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Florida is preparing for Hurricane Ian and any resulting storm surge. The hurricane is expected to hit western Cuba today and then move across the southeastern Gulf of Mexico. It would hit the west coast of Florida late Wednesday. Forecasters now say Ian could become a Category 4 hurricane by then. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the storm's development. Rapidly intensifying Hurricane Ian became a Category 3 storm early Tuesday. It's quickly nearing landfall in western Cuba. In Florida, residents are making final preparations. This one looks like it could be a real one, so I flew down from New Jersey today to try and protect my property, get stuff up to the second level where I can and see how it goes. You think you're going to be safe, hunker down, try to help other people out, but this gets serious quick. The hurricane is expected to bring a life-threatening storm surge. Store shelves are being emptied as people stockpile food and supplies. Others are gathering and setting up sandbags to prepare for possible flooding. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says power outages should be expected. The Florida National Guard has activated 5,000 Florida Guardsmen as well as 2,000 additional Guardsmen from Tennessee, Georgia and North Carolina that have been activated to help. Officials announced school closures and flight cancellations. Tampa Bay International Airport is suspending operations at 5 p.m. Tuesday. Mandatory evacuation orders have been issued for parts of Pinellas and Hillsborough counties. Emergency shelters have been opened. <laughs> they say mandatory evacuation. It's time to go. 
Evacuation orders also went into effect for low-lying areas of Charlotte County, as well as in Sarasota, Hernando, and Manatee counties. So we're doing the best we can to prepare, and if needed, we'll evacuate, or I will evacuate if I need to. More evacuations are expected for some counties north, south, and inland of the bay. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Hurricane Ian is not expected to impact U.S. fuel prices. AAA reports the national average for a gallon is $3.75. That's about $0.08 more than it was last week, but analysts say Ian is not to blame. BP and Chevron have evacuated their facilities in the Gulf of Mexico for safety, but Ian's path is not projected to cross that area. Analysts say the loss of roughly 485,000 barrels a day from these evacuations will be minor for overall production. Now we turn to the efforts to promote school choice in Arizona. The state house's GOP majority leader says they have claimed a major victory for families to choose education that is best for their children. We get the details surrounding this and some of the pros and cons from our next guest. Joining us now is Corey DeAngelis, Senior Fellow at the American Federation for Children. Corey is considered one of the leading school choice advocates in the country. Pleasure having you on the show, Corey. Hey, thank you. Arizona's historic universal school voucher program seems to be moving ahead. This is after a petition to block the law appealed to fall short on Monday. This means Arizona parents seeking to use taxpayer dollars for private and homeschooling can join the sign-up list. What impact will this have on academics, broadly speaking? Well, this is huge. This is the biggest school choice victory in U.S. history. The teachers unions have really overplayed their hand and awakened a sleeping giant. Parents who just want more of a say in their kids' education. But this will obviously lead to better academic outcomes because families, parents know their kids' educational needs and they care about their kids more than anybody else, certainly more than any bureaucrat sitting in offices hundreds of miles away. Tons of evidence that this will actually lead to better outcomes in the public schools too because of competition. 25 of the 28 studies on the topic, statistically significant positive effects of private school choice competition on the outcomes in the public schools too. So this is a rising boats. It's a win-win scenario, more freedom, more choice, and better outcomes. That is interesting that you mentioned public schools. Now, opponents of these kind of vouchers say they funnel money away from already struggling public schools and benefit middle-class families who, in many cases, already have access to good public schools. What's your reaction to this? Money doesn't belong to the government schools. Education funding is meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. And by the way, why would giving families a choice defund or funnel money away from the public schools? If they're doing a they would keep all the money. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. That they make this argument is an admission that they believe families aren't happy with what they're getting in the current system. That's an argument for choice, not against it. And think about Arizona and the way the funding formula works. In with this program, the ESA, the Empowerment Scholarship Account, families get to take the state the education provider of their choosing. Again, that could be the public school, a charter school, a private school, or home-based education option. That's only about $7,000. Government-run school spends about $14,000 per student on average in Arizona. They get to keep the local funding and the federal funding. So on a per-student basis, when families leave schools using the school choice program, leave the public schools, those public schools get to keep thousands of dollars for students are no longer educating. So mathematically on a per student basis, they end up with higher purchases and expenditures. Again, this is a win-win scenario. Well, thanks for laying out those arguments. It seems like it's very reasonable. Now, for example, if Arizona does take up this voucher program, would this cause a chain reaction leading other states to adopt this type of initiative? Yeah, and we're already seeing friendly competition, particularly among red states. School choice is a Republican Party platform issue, and Arizona was able to get it done with the slimmest of majorities. They have one-seat Republican majorities in the House and in the Senate, and they have a Republican governor, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, and they were able to get it done. And look, Governor Abbott in Texas, for example, is already leading school choice more than he ever has before, and he said that this will be the This session will be the biggest, most swiftest, most powerful push for school choice in Texas history. I met with him uh, just a month or two ago, and he seemed confident and supportive of school choice. And uh, he said that back in in January, that this would be the biggest push for school choice. In Iowa, you see Governor Reynolds leading on the issue of parental rights and education. 
She is a staunch advocate for school choice. So all eyes on Iowa next session, too. They should be able to get an education savings account program as well. And we're certainly going to be watching how this all unfolds. Corey DeAngelis, the American Federation for Children, great speaking with you today. Yeah, thank you so much. And outside the New York Stock Exchange in Manhattan on Monday, about 100 FedEx pilots were seen picketing. This comes amid union negotiations for a new contract with FedEx. The Airline Pilots Association is the union representing the pilots. They released a statement saying the protest was intended to express continued frustrations over the lack of a new pilot contract. The pilots and their supporters held signs that read, Fix the pension and FedEx has failed to deliver. The pilots and FedEx have been negotiating a new contract since May 2021. When asked to comment, FedEx Express said that the negotiations are a normal part of our business and have no impact on our service. We will continue to negotiate in good faith with our pilots and are committed to reaching an agreement that is fair to our pilots, our other team members, and all other stakeholders. In other news, a Kentucky man who killed three fellow students and wounded five others will have to spend the rest of his life in prison without another opportunity to seek parole. Michael Carneal is now 39. He was 14 at the time of the shooting. He told members of the Kentucky Parole Board last week that he would live with his parents and continue his mental health treatment if they agreed to release him. He admitted that he still hears voices. He says in 1997, the voices told him to steal a neighbor's gun and fire it into the crowded lobby of Heath High School. But he said that with therapy and medication, he has learned to control his behavior. The board voted 7-0 to to deny parole after deliberating in private for about 30 minutes. Carneal watched the vote over Zoom from the Kentucky State Reformatory. The parole board chair told Carneal that due to the seriousness of his crime, he would serve out his life sentence in prison. Carneal responded, yes ma'am, and quickly left. Authorities in Virginia identified the body of a young woman last seen in 1975. The Fairfax County Police Department says the remains are Patricia Gildewey. The skeletal remains were discovered in a drainage ditch in 2001. After years of investigation, cold case detectives started to work with forensic experts. Advanced testing eventually led to Gildewey's half-sister and helped confirm her identity. So far, there's no word on any potential suspects. Anyone with possible information is asked to contact the authorities. Eight years have passed since 43 students from a teacher's college mysteriously disappeared in Mexico. Relatives and supporters are calling for answers. Protesters filled the streets of Mexico City on Monday. It was the eighth anniversary of the unsolved kidnapping of 43 students. Vidalfo Rosales is the lawyer for the parents of the missing 43. He says mobilizations will continue until the government finds the truth and puts those responsible to trial. In August, a former attorney general was arrested and charged in connection with the disappearances. And former General Jose Rodriguez was arrested on September 25th for suspected involvement in the case. His arrest marks the highest ranking official so far, and the government now considers this a state crime. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, Japan holds a state funeral to honor the life of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. It was the first state funeral for a prime minister in more than 55 years. And the hackers of Optus Telecommunications Company say they won't sell the data, but are seeking a $1 million ransom. Find out more after this short break. Good to have you back with us. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has announced $10 million in new aid for food security in Pakistan. This, as record flooding, continues to affect tens of millions of people in that country. 600,000 women, pregnant women, are waiting to give birth in the open. Of the 33 million people affected, 16 million are children. Uh, The United States... All Americans extend our deepest condolences and sympathy to our friends in Pakistan. And we send a simple message. We are here for Pakistan. The flooding has killed nearly 1,600 people, damaged nearly 2 million homes, and wreaked overall damage estimated at more than $30 billion. Government officials say the floods took 15% of Pakistan's rice crop and 40% of its cotton crop. 
The waters also wiped out the personal grain stores that many farming families rely on for food year-long. Blinken said the aid will provide urgent supplies to help farmers recover, like seeds and fertilizer. It would also provide assistance repairing critical irrigation infrastructure damaged by the floods. With flowers, prayers, and a 19-gun salute, Japan honored slain former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on Tuesday. It was the first state funeral for a former premier in 55 years. Here's the story. Japan honored slain former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on Tuesday with the first state funeral for a former premier in 55 years. Abe's ashes were carried into the Nippon Budokan Hall in central Tokyo by his widow, Aki, to music from a military band and a 19-gun salute. Thousands of people flooded the funeral venue from the early hours. Mourners laid flowers and bowed their heads after waiting in three-hour queues. Nearly 5,000 people were expected at the funeral, including US Vice President Kamala Harris, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Siphoning U.S. innovation by luring talent from America's top nuclear lab, a new report highlighting how Beijing uses American technology to advance its own military. Entity's Tiffany Meyer has more. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Beijing has been siphoning talents from America's top nuclear lab based on a new report. What's more, it points out over 160 scientists that have returned to China after spending time in the U.S. lab. They've reportedly helped the regime advance in key military technologies, like hypersonics and warheads. The lab that's been targeted is called the Los Alamos National Laboratory, located in New Mexico. It's home to multiple nuclear defense facilities. It developed America's first atomic bomb. Allegedly, the Chinese regime has been systematically luring Chinese talents from that lab back to China. So many of them have returned to work for China that they've been nicknamed the Los Alamos Club. That's according to an intelligence report by Strider Technologies. Beijing's effort appears successful. Since the 1980s, over 160 scientists that worked at the lab returned to China to support defense research back home. Here's a list of technologies they helped bring back. Hypersonics, deep earth penetrating warheads, unmanned autonomous vehicles, jet engines, and submarine noise reduction. Crucial to Beijing's recruitment effort is Dr. Chen Shiyi. During his 18-year tenure at the U.S. lab, Chen received over $19 million in U.S. government funding for sensitive research. He then went back to China and helped recruit many Los Alamos alumni. But the Los Alamos case is just the tip of the iceberg. Over the past decade, Beijing has been systematically luring talent to bring U.S. know-how back to China. They do it through a project called the Thousand Talents Program. Under it, the regime tempts top scholars to hand over their knowledge to China with lucrative offers. What's more, it doesn't always ask those scientists to go to China. They're often allowed to stay in their positions overseas as long as they hand over the expertise or patents that the regime wants. Tibetan people are suffering tremendously from Beijing's rigid COVID controls, and when they try to explain the situation on social media, they are soon silenced. Public resentment is growing in Lhasa, the capital of Tibet. Residents there who tested positive for COVID-19, plus people living in the same compounds, are being put under quarantine in stadiums, schools, warehouses, and even unfinished buildings. Videos show people getting loaded onto buses at night and taken to makeshift quarantine camps. Tibetans have started expressing despair over the situation on social media. Sharing details online is especially risky for Tibetans, since they often face harsh suppressions due to the political sensitivity of the region. A Tibetan woman said in a post that locals are being treated like criminals. Another said her family was forced to quarantine with 800 people in a local school. Her children developed fevers there, but no medical care was available. Another audio recording came from a desperate father who said authorities separated him and his wife from their one-year-old child. The social media posts were quickly removed, 
likely censored by China's internet firewall. Authorities also threatened to shut down accounts sharing these posts. China's COVID-19 lockdown measures are hitting areas beyond Xinjiang and Tibet, largely home to ethnic minorities. The strict rules are also impacting China's Han ethnic group, which makes up more than 90 percent of today's Chinese people. Similar reports from the country have been repeating themselves for over two years. In areas where positive COVID-19 cases have been detected, the entrances to some residential buildings are welded shut or covered with boards and nailed closed. Like this neighborhood, where the entrance has been chained shut. Without the key, no one inside can leave the compound. Dozens of buses have also been spotted transporting residents to quarantine centers in the middle of the night. This clip is from Guiyang City. And in the same city, a bus overturned on an expressway late at night last week, killing two dozen people. The bus had been packed with those who had close contact with confirmed COVID-19 patients. TikTok could face a $29 million fine over a possible breach of the UK's data protection law. That's by failing to protect children's privacy when they're using the video sharing platform. The UK Information Commissioner's Office said TikTok may have processed the data of children under 13 without appropriate parental consent. It also said TikTok may have failed to provide transparent, easily understood information to its users. The office said its findings are not final and that it will consider any representations from TikTok before making a final decision. The government is pushing through its online safety bill, which requires technology companies to protect children from harmful content. And an update on the massive data breach at telecommunications giant Optus. The hackers now claim they've deleted the data as the Australian Federal Police launch an investigation. The investigation is called Operation Hurricane, and the goal is to track down the culprits behind the cyber attack and prevent identity fraud. The hackers obtained the personal data of up to 9.8 million Australians. A police commissioner involved says Optus customers should be on guard against unsolicited texts, emails and phone calls. Meanwhile, a law firm is considering filing a class action lawsuit against Optus on behalf of its former and current customers. Early this morning, the hackers released the personal information of over 10,000 people on a popular online data breach forum. They threatened to publicize 10,000 records every day until Optus paid a ransom of 1 million U.S. dollars. They later apologized and declared the data would not be sold to anyone. They claimed to have deleted their only copy. The account is believed to be the hackers, but is not confirmed. And just ahead, the British pound sterling has dropped to a record low against the dollar. Experts warn this will make the cost of living crisis worse, with the prices of goods such as food, phones and fuel predicted to increase. And energy costs force steelmakers to scale back across Europe. The industry employs more than 300,000 and contributes tens of billions of dollars to the region's economy. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. Gas is leaking from the two Nord Stream pipelines from Russia to Germany under the Baltic Sea. German and EU officials say they are still determining the cause of the leaks. We now know that this did not happen on German territory. This was verified yesterday, and in this respect, it is now on the colleagues where this happened to investigate. At this stage, it's very premature to speculate on what the causes are. As I said, we've been informed uh, about the situation by the member states concerned, and the member states are looking into this issue. We will remain in close contact with them, but it's really not the moment to speculate on what the potential causes could be. Neither of the two Russian-owned pipelines are currently in service. On Monday, Denmark detected the first leak on the Nord Stream 2 project. Soon, two more leaks were spotted on Nord Stream 1 in both Danish and Swedish waters. Maritime authorities in the two countries have issued navigational warnings. Germany has also reached out to Danish authorities to examine the issue. The EU said the leaks currently have no impact on Europe's security of supply, but chief spokesman Eric Mammer added any act of sabotage on infrastructure will be condemned. 
The British pound has plunged to an all-time low against the U.S. dollar after recently unveiled tax cuts shook confidence in the U.K. market. Experts have warned that the drop in the pound's value will send the cost of goods soaring yet higher, while government borrowing will become more expensive. Entities Malcolm Hudson reports from London. Following Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's tax-cutting mini-budgets, the pound has dropped in value. It's fallen to the lowest level against the dollar in about 50 years. This means we could see the cost-of-living crisis continue to get worse. International currency traders have been selling off their pound sterling in favour of the traditionally more robust US dollar. Traders typically buy into the dollar during times of economic strife or uncertainty. The pound's value fell by more than 4% in early trading, having already tumbled on Friday in the aftermath of Kwarteng's mini-budget. This time last week, £100 would buy you $114. That's dropped to 108 on Friday. Then early on Monday it fell once more to 103 but it has now risen to $108 again. Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves accused Kwarteng and Prime Minister Liz Truss of recklessly gambling with the UK's finances. The tax cuts are being paid for with about £70 billion of increased borrowing, which sparked some of the uncertainty. Experts warned the drop in the pound will impact the cost of goods. Oil and gas are traded in dollars on the global market, so we may see fuel prices go up more. Similarly, Importing goods such as technology from overseas will be more expensive. And since the UK imports nearly half of its food, food prices will also increase. Financial markets have been speculating that the Bank of England may increase interest rates again to try to curb inflation. Last Thursday, the bank increased rates from 1.75% to 2.25%. But market analysts said the bank may have to increase rates to 3.25%. Analysts were speculating whether the Bank of England would announce emergency measures, a knee-jerk reaction that would further panic the markets. But the bank's governor, Andrew Bailey, quashed the talk. He said the impact of the mini-budget will be discussed at the normal quarterly committee meeting in November. And interest rates will be changed as much as needed to ensure inflation returns to its 2% target. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Energy costs have forced steelmakers to cut output across Europe. The cuts could lead to mass plant shutdowns. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the industry that contributes tens of billions of dollars to the region's economy. In Belgium, stainless steel maker Aparam has been forced to halt production amid surging energy prices. Now, the company's monthly energy bill is as much as what they used to pay annually. Normally you would have molten steel that goes through this uh, production facility. You would see a lot of activity here. It would be hot. Today it's very cold as you can feel. There is no activity because the steel plant is shut down. According to a McKinsey report last year, steel contributes about $80 billion in direct value to Europe's economy and directly employs about 330,000 people. Germany is largely reliant on Russian gas to fuel its export-led economy and the steel industry is facing extra energy costs of $10 billion. That's about a quarter of the sector's average annual turnover. Because today nobody knows how the energy prices, will they stabilize, will they go under? Uh, What do our customers, how do they react? Uh, Will we be able to, to pay the bills and so on? Other steel companies are scaling back as well. ThyssenKrupp Steel Europe has trimmed production in Germany. And ArcelorMittal has also idled a blast furnace in Germany, along with others in France, Poland and Spain. The corporation forecasts its fourth quarter European production will be some 17% lower than a year earlier. this moment we are doing everything to solve the situation or to cope with the situation with temporary measures. And we have temporary levers to overcome a certain period. But this cannot last for years. The deputy director of a European Steel Federation says the temporary measures could become more permanent. Other energy-intensive sectors such as other metals, fertilizers and chemicals could soon follow suit. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
In a village in eastern Ukraine, residents try to rebuild their lives. The town was once home to some 1,200 people before the war. Now only 12 remain. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the challenges they face. Russian forces first attacked Kamyanka in early March, but Ukrainian forces recaptured the village on September 11th. Locals now face a cold winter with no heat and no electricity. They're salvaging what they can to survive and rebuild their lives. As you can see, we heat with wood from ammunition boxes. There's so many of these boxes here, destroyed. The Russian forces ran over them with their tanks and armored vehicles. We collect them and use them as fuel. In the early days of the war, Zdorovets said her family remained in their cellar. We practically didn't leave the cellar because the shelling was so heavy, especially airstrikes. They happened a couple of times per day. They depend on the crops they grow to feed their family. But when it was time for harvesting potatoes, they found mines littering their land. We dug them out with a four-meter-long shovel and took it to a visible place, pointed it out to the Ukrainian soldiers, so they shot at them. Now, the family faces the challenge of rebuilding their destroyed home and clearing their fields of mines. But Yuri Zadorovets has experienced surviving explosions. When the shell exploded, I was right here. The explosion threw me to the ground. There was dust everywhere around me. The explosion threw the roof up. I didn't understand what was going on or what caused all of this. Thousands have been killed since Russian forces invaded Ukraine. The invasion marks the biggest assault on a European country since World War II. Russia has abandoned its main positions in northeastern Ukraine, marking its worst defeat since the early days of the war. Ukrainian troops have recaptured dozens of towns in the shift of momentum. Moscow calls its campaign a special military operation to protect Russian-speaking communities. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, an Israeli company develops a laser system that removes ink from paper. A single page can be used up to 10 times, resulting in a significant reduction in paper consumption. And an Australian team invents a smart device that can automatically sort your recycling. The smart bin relies on advanced sensors and an AI brain. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Welcome back. An Israeli company has developed a laser system that removes ink from paper. It allows a single page to be used up to 10 times. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Reap Technologies has developed a technology that strips the ink from a sheet of paper. Basically, a D-printer is pretty much very similar to a printer, except it does reverse. You put a single print uh, after you print it into the tray, and it deprints it through a laser process. And at the output, you have a clean sheet ready for reprinting. The company says the technology will allow a significant reduction in paper consumption and describes it as circular printing. The market for circular printing actually encompasses the entirety of the printer market as it is today. The current market is actually a linear uh, printing market. The role of paper remains an important part of life, even in the digital age. Though, the paper industry not only contributes to deforestation, but manufacturing paper also consumes large quantities of water and energy, and generates greenhouse gases. What we're trying to do is do everything that we can, possibly can, to keep products as long as possible, and have the useful life. And just that uh, our technology actually enables that for the print and paper sector, at least on all printed matter, to allow them to give them a second and a third and actually a tenth life. He says he hopes the technology will change the market. We invite all the paper makers in the world to have a brand of reprintable paper and we can supply them the special coating that they could apply and they have a new brand. Uh, I'm not sure it's in their best interest because they're used to a linear model where they're selling more and they produce more. And I think that's the market that potentially will change due to this technology. According to a report from the European Paper Recycling Council, nearly 74% of all paper and board consumed in Europe was recycled in 2020. 
so it's not as wasteful an industry as this new technology suggests. For now, paper will still be thrown in the recycling bin. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Recycling can be confusing, so a Sydney-based team has invented a smart device that automatically sorts recyclables. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Australia reports that they recycle close to 40 million tons of waste each year. That's almost half the overall waste Australians generate annually. But only a small percentage of plastics are actually recycled because they aren't properly sorted. I don't know where it goes after we put it in the bin. I heard rumours that it all ends up in the garbage anyway and it just doesn't happen or maybe it does. I don't know. I don't actually have any information about it. Um, I sort of feel like we do our bit on our end but I don't know where it ends up and I don't know if it's enough. One of the main issues is the wide range of plastics. But a new recycling bin can do all the sorting automatically. This machine either can classify different wastes, including the uh, glasses, metal cans and the plastics. And for the amazing part, it can recognize different types of plastics, including the PET and the HTPE. This smart bin is not your usual basic trash can. It integrates an arsenal of advanced technology. We combine the latest technologies, including the IoT. We use different sensors to sense the weight, the metal, the materials. And also we use the latest AI technology. Also, the more the smart bin is used, the more it learns. We train an AI model, and we train the AI model with about hundreds of images. Um, and then the AI model can learn the features of the WESTs, not only according to the brands or the appearance. The whole, it learns the whole features of the WESTs. Businesses and individuals alike welcome the new device. We have three bins, so outside the f uh, some flats, there's just so many bins, there's 20 or 30 bins. So if they can cut the size and number of bins down by having a multiple bin, that'd be great. The bin is a prototype and still needs a bit of fine tuning but its inventors are already thinking of the device on a commercial scale. Ultimately, their dream is to see smart bins in shopping centers, schools, businesses, and airports. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a James Bond stunt car and Daniel Craig costume are up for sale at a charity auction. The event is celebrating 60 years of the Bond franchise. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. A soccer match played under zero gravity conditions. It's earned a Guinness World Record for its altitude. Three, two, one, zero gravity. The match was played on a specially made pitch in the cabin of a plane on a parabolic flight that created zero gravity conditions. The altitude of the plane was over 20,000 feet. The match was between two teams of four. Players floated over the pitch as they battled it out in the out-of-this-world conditions. Portuguese soccer legend Luis Figo scored a goal in the game. Figo was the 2000 Ballon d'Or winner. His red team bested the yellow team competitors 2-1 in the promotional match. MasterCard said the match has been awarded a Guinness World Record for the highest altitude game of football on a parabolic flight. And over in Bosnia, a man there is living proof that extreme sports are not always a young man's game. At the age of 88, he keeps fit by regularly jumping out of airplanes. Ibrahim Kalasic was introduced to the sport more than 70 years ago. He has just completed his 1,487th jump during a parachuting competition this weekend. Kalasic made 21 jumps in five days last month during a competition. He says he is the oldest active parachuter in Europe, but he wishes to go on with this for another 10 years and set a Guinness World Record. He says skydiving gives him an excellent feeling and that everywhere he goes for skydiving, he gets a warm welcome. The 88-year-old says his biggest wish is to get his own parachute and another one to use for training young jumpers. In a turbulent year for the airline industry, one worldwide carrier stood out from the rest. Qatar Airways has been selected as the world's best airline for 2022. That outcome was based on 14 million customer surveys performed by the UK-based Skytrax website. The Qatari-based airline has won top honors seven times since the award was introduced in 1999. Delta took the top spot among U.S.-based air carriers, and Turkish Airlines was named the best in Europe. Qatar Airways serves several American airports, including New York's JFK, Boston's Logan, and Atlanta's Hartsfield International. 
A James Bond auction is marking 60 years of the British secret agent on the silver screen. Leading the sale is an Aston Martin stunt car and the costume Daniel Craig wore in his latest Bond movie. Let's have a look. At Christie's Auction House in London, an Aston Martin DB5 is catching all eyes. The vehicle and its hidden guns starred in the last James Bond film, No Time to Die. One of eight produced for the film, but all produced with different capabilities and for different stages of damage. And externally, it looks exactly like the DB5 that we all associate with James Bond. Internally, a completely different beast to be capable of all the incredible stunts and the driving that they did in Matera. The stunt car is estimated to fetch more than $1.6 million in the upcoming sale. Known as 60 Years of James Bond, the auction is co-organized by Christie's and Eon Productions. It comprises a live auction this Wednesday and an online auction running through October 5th, the same day in 1962, the first James Bond film, Dr. No, held its world premiere. Bond. James Bond. James Bond is one of those characters everybody's heard of, and it just creates so much excitement having a sale like this. But what's so wonderful for collectors is that these objects, particularly the film props, they've come directly from Eon, so that's the same as them coming directly from the film set. There's no sort of question of provenance, it just couldn't be purer. So I think that's a big part of the magic. A total of about 60 lots are up for grabs in the two auctions, with proceeds going to different charities. For sale items include several of Daniel Craig's outfits from his last outing as Bond, a signed No Time to Die clapboard, and costumes worn by other main cast members. There are also vehicles, watches, and props from earlier Bond films. Anything seen on screen, anything that's um, plot-related, anything that's a hero prop, which are things that are handled by the principal actors. All those types of things are very important to make sure that you retain, because those are the things that are most memorable to people. The franchise's producer, Michael G. Wilson, shared his sentiments about the auction. Well, I think for every one of these items over the last 60 years, we have things from the various earliest uh, films. It's, uh, it brings back a lot of memories, and, uh, and I, some, some memories are joy and fun and, and uh, the good stories we've had. Others are problems we might have had making the films that you have to cope with. So it's a mixture of feelings for me. But he added, no decision has yet been made on what the next James Bond will be like. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Thank you.